Welcome back, Missio family. Today, you'll hear Pastor Josh talk about how joy is found when we understand life from an eternal perspective. If you have any questions about Missio, you'd like to join a missional community, or you have any prayer requests, please contact us at missio.life. Well, hey, good morning, Missio family. Good to be with you on this holiday weekend. Um, And it's hotter now than I guess it's been all summer. I don't know what's up with that. It's interesting. But um, we weren't here last Sunday. I don't know if you showed up. Hopefully you didn't come here uh, because we were out at McDowell Dam and it was amazing. Wasn't it awesome? Wasn't that like the most beautiful day we've ever seen? And we got to witness people going all in with Jesus in baptism. We had nine people Um, be baptized. We got to have a, yeah, clap for that. And um, we we got to have a meal. We cooked out, we grilled out. um, And it was just a beautiful, beautiful day. And there's something about being out in creation and worshiping God, our creator. And it was really cool. Uh, There was also some, you know, random things being in a public space. We had somebody practicing their golf swing over on the beach and some people swimming and uh, I don't know if we were going to baptize that guy that was swimming around out there, but he never came in to shore. So uh, anyway, it was, it was a beautiful day. And so just give God glory for that. Today, we're back here, obviously, in our space, and we're starting a new series. We're starting a series in the book of Philippians. And so over the next number of weeks, we're going to work methodically through this book, starting at chapter one, verse one, and we're going to work through the whole book of Philippians. And I think what we're going to find is that there's some themes that come throughout this book. And one of those themes is joy. And I don't know how you're feeling today, um, but I would guess that if you're like me, you could use a little more joy. We can all use a little, anybody here just maxed out on joy? Raise your hand if you just can't take any more joy. You're just so full of joy that, as God, I can't handle anymore. See, the reality is that most of us want and long for more joy. And joy is a gift of God that he gives to us through his spirit. And so sometimes we lose joy, we give it away by having a wrong perspective or a wrong attitude and things can come up in life and we just focus on the wrong things and we give up our joy. I think what we're going to find is that as we study the book of Philippians and as we look at the Apostle Paul and his example, we're going to learn some things about joy and my hope is that over these next series of weeks, we will grow in our joy, in our personal lives and collectively as a church. So I want to give you a bit of an overview of the book before we start reading together. Um, So just to give a little bit of context, the author of the book of Philippians is the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to this church in Philippi. These are his friends. He planted this church. He started this church with them. And he's writing to them with a fondness. You'll pick that up in this letter that there's a sense of uh, friendship, a warmness to his tone that is a little bit unlike some of his other letters, his other epistles. He wrote to the Colossians and the Galatians and the Corinthians, and they were pretty jacked up. Like, those churches were going through a lot of crisis and turmoil. The Philippian letter isn't quite like that. It's, it's, there's some correction involved, but it's a lot more of a, a warm, friendly letter of Paul to his friends. To give you a little bit of context of Philippi, I think we have a, a couple of maps. Maybe we go to that first map. So Philippi um, is about 10 miles in from the coast, and Philippi is, was, it was in basically modern-day Greece, and it was a, there was a, a road that connected 
um, the Aegean Sea with the Adriatic Sea. I think we'll go to the next one on that one. And you can kind of see, I don't know if it's hard to see, it's a small picture there, but that red line was a travel route. It was a, it was a road called the Ignatian Way. And Paul used that to travel and to do his missionary journeys. But many people would travel through Philippi on their way to Rome. You can see they jumped across the water in that blue dotted line and they'd go up the coast up to Rome. And so many people traveled through Philippi. The Philippian church was started primarily of Gentile believers. And so this was a Gentile, mostly Gentile church. And they were, I don't want to say a model church, but they were pretty good. Like overall, compared to some of the other churches, they didn't have a lot of issues. They weren't quite as jacked up as some of the other congregations. And Paul loved them. And he wrote letters to them. And so this was the letter from Paul, who is currently in prison in Rome. And Paul writes to his friends, and he greets them from prison. And so the Apostle Paul was writing from, um, from prison, like I said, and there's some, some words that I want us to pay attention to. Throughout the book, uh, the word joy or rejoice is mentioned 16 times. You'll notice that. The Lord Jesus Christ is mentioned 36 times. You can have joy because of Jesus Christ. And mind and attitude is mentioned 11 times. You can have joy because of Christ if you have the proper mind and attitudes. That's a little bit of the backstory of the Philippian church and Paul's letter to his friends. So we're, without any more um, pause here, let's go to the text and read it. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Philippians 1, verse 1. And I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. So if you're on a Bible app and you want to switch that over, it's a little easier to follow along. Um, Otherwise, let's read this together. Philippians 1. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work in you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you will live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. So Paul's writing from his imprisonment. He was on house arrest in Rome. And if you didn't know that, if he didn't mention that he was in prison, you would think he's on vacation. He's not bummed out. He's not complaining about his circumstance. He's saying, no, I'm, I'm joyful for you. I pray for you with joy, Philippians. These are his friends. And he writes, because they're his, his partners in ministry, he had a fondness for them because when you're in ministry with somebody, 
There's a connection. There's a bond. You know what I'm talking about. If you've done ministry with somebody else, there's a, there's a fondness and a friendship that, that runs pretty deep. And that's what Paul is writing about. He said, hey, I'm, I'm imprisoned, but when I think of you, I have joy. So Paul didn't find joy because of his circumstances, being locked up, but he found joy in spite of them. He said, when I think about you, I'm filled with joy because joy looks backward. Sometimes we have to look backward to find joy. Because what can happen is if we focus on our present circumstances too much, we can get in a tunnel, can't we? We can look at the stuff that's going on in our lives today, and we can be super discouraged. Paul could have done that. He could have said, man, I got four walls around me. I can't leave. I'm chained up to this guard. He says, no, when I think back, when I think back to you, my friends in ministry, I'm filled with joy and I pray for you. See, most of the times when we don't have joy, it's because we don't like our current circumstances. We don't like where we are. We say, God, uh, pretty sure you've messed up and things are the way they are because you're not in control. But Paul was able to have joy amidst his circumstances because he trusted God. He said, God, I know you're in control and you've got me right where you want me. Even though I'm imprisoned in Rome, and by the way, Paul didn't know if he was going to die. There was a good chance he was going to be executed by Emperor Nero. I mean, he loved to kill Christians. And he's in prison and he's saying, no, I'm thinking back to you. I'm, I'm trusting in God that he's got me right where he wants me. And I can have joy in this circumstance. So this is the secret to Paul's joy. Look at back um, verse 3 of our text. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make requests for you with joy. He says, when I remember back and I think of you, I'm filled with joy. So Paul is focusing on the right things. He's not focused on his four walls. He's focused on his reality of life in Christ and his friends in the gospel. See, joy comes from remembering God's goodness in the past. Sometimes we need to look backward and say, God, you've been so good to me. You have been faithful to me throughout all of my life. There's never been a time, God, where you have failed me. And we need to look back because our present circumstances are hard. And life is tough. And we can look back and say, man, I'm filled with joy when I remember. Um, Sometimes we remember simple things. Uh, I think of just some of the ways that we can let joy fill our hearts when we're reminded of things. It could be a a taste or a smell or a song or a movie. Anyone ever just their memory takes them back and they experience joy in that moment? One of those things for me is my my wife's grandma, Evelyn. She um, passed away a couple years ago, but there's a smell. She makes donuts. She made donuts in Lefsa. And man, it's unmistakable. When you'd walk through the doors of her house, you'd smell that. It's like, oh, we're going to have donuts and lefsa, and we're going to sit around the table with grandma, and we're going to have coffee. And anytime now that I smell someone cooking lefsa or making donuts, homemade donuts, I just, it takes me right back, and I'm filled with joy. That's what remembering does for us sometimes. It takes us back to something that, that fills up our heart, and that's just a small example when we focus on our present circumstances, life can be really, really tough. And so I don't want to say today that if you're going through a hard situation that you just need to tough it up and that you need to just paste on some joy. We can go through multiple emotions at the same time, can't we? We can experience joy amidst pain, amidst hurt. Think of a mother who is giving birth to her child. She's experienced pain and she's got tears, but she's got 
joy at the same time. Emotions are like that. So I'm not trying to minimize anyone's pain or your suffering or anything you're going through today. What I am saying is that God wants us to experience joy no matter where we find ourselves. So joy looks backward, but joy also looks forward. And we see this from Paul. One of the most well-known verses from Philippians 1, verse 6. I love this verse. And I am certain that God, who began a good work in you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So joy looks forward. Joy doesn't just look at present, present circumstances. It says, man, I realize there's some really good stuff coming. I can focus on the future. And I know that the God who began a good work in each of us will be faithful to continue it and develop us until the day when Christ Jesus returns. Again, Paul could have been pretty hopeless. He didn't know when he was going to die. He didn't know how long he was going to be in prison. He says, no, I'm, I have joy when I remember back and when I think forward to what God is doing in you, what he will complete in you. He says, friends, God started a work of transformation in your heart, and it's going to continue on until he finishes it. See, there's a theological reality tucked into this verse. And we've talked about in the last number of weeks, a person becomes born again. That's a spiritual birth, and the Holy Spirit comes into our heart. We say, Jesus, I trust you. I'm made new in Christ. And that's justification. That's the theological word is justification. It's just as if I'd never sinned. And in an instant, we are made right with God because of what Jesus has done for us. But then there's a word called sanctification, and that is a process that God is doing in us. It's ongoing because we're still living life. And I don't know about you, but I don't perfectly resemble Jesus in every way. Anybody got it all together? No, right? We're still in process. That's sanctification. We, we can also call that discipleship. We're learning to trust God more and more with every area of our lives and grow to look more and more like Jesus. And then there's a, another theological term called glorification. And that's the end result. When we are finally face to face with Jesus, there's no more sin. There's no more character flaws. And we get to be with him for eternity. And so that's what Paul's talking about. He says, the one who began that good work in you, who justified you by faith, is continuing to work in you to sanctify you until the day when it's all over and we just get to be with Jesus for eternity. That's what Paul's talking about. We're being conformed into the image of Jesus. So looking forward to God's completed work in us can bring us incredible joy. We're all works in progress. Imagine that you're building a new house and you've bought the land, you've, you've done the site work, the, the foundation's been poured, framing's done, electrical's in, plumbing's in, drywall's going up. And as the homeowner, you love to go and walk through your house. Oh man, look at this house, it's so awesome. And there's a couple of different ways we can approach that. We can, we can go through the house and say, man, we still got to put flooring in, we still got to do trim work, we still need final inspections, and you can... You can get pretty bogged down with all the stuff that's unfinished. And we can focus on that a lot. Or we can walk through the rooms of the house trusting that our contractor is going to get the work done. And we can walk into a bedroom and imagine, this is where I'm going to tuck my kids in at night. This is where I'm going to pray with them. 
And we can walk down to the dining room and imagine our dining room table there and all the uh, meals and holidays and time spent around that table sharing life with people we love. And we can take a walk down to the living room and imagine this is where we're going to have our couch and our TV is going to be over there and can imagine sitting here on the couch with my wife on a, on a cold winter's night watching a great movie with the fireplace crackling in the corner. And it can bring us great joy to walk through that house, even though it's not finished, to say, one day it will be, and it's going to be awesome. See, our lives are a little bit like that house. Jesus is the builder, and he says, I started that work in you, and even though it's in progress, and you might walk through the rooms and, and observe some things, and you still see where there's some unfinished business, some unfinished work, Jesus says, I'm going to finish it, and it's going to be awesome, and you can find joy because you trust the builder. So rather than focusing on all the unfinished things, we rest in the one who started the work of transformation in us, and he will complete it in the end. So I want to pause right here for two questions of discussion, and then we'll move on. The first one is this, why is it so easy to lack joy in our lives? What do you guys think it is? Why is it so easy to lack joy? I think it's hard to look back at stuff that's already happened when in your mind it's always, okay, what's next? What's the next thing to do? What's the next thing to work on? It's hard to reflect back and go, you know what? That was good and we should be proud and celebrate. Yeah, so maybe it's harder to look back and celebrate and remember than to just think forward. I think it depends a little bit on your personality, too. Some people focus a lot on the past. Some people focus a lot on the future. I'm a future person, so I'm, I'm, I'm always in the future. I'm a little bit like that. What do you guys think? Anyone else? Why is it so easy to lack joy? Stuck in the trouble of today. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. living in the present. So yeah, we get into the tunnel, right? Like all we can see is our situation. Like Paul could have looked around and said, man, I'm locked up in this house. I want to leave, but I can't. And that's what we do sometimes. We say, I'm just focused on my situation instead of maybe looking back or looking forward. Absolutely. Second question, how might your life be different if you lived with the joy that God wants you to have? How might your life be different? if we live with the joy that God truly wants us to have? We'd be more content. We'd be more content. That's a good thing. I want to be content. What else? Think, think about relationships. How might your relationships be different if you had more joy? Say it again. You love people better? I think people would want to hang out with us more. We had more joy. Anybody know grumpy people? They're not the ones you want to hang out with. Right? Any other thoughts on this? Say that again. Yeah, we'd be more like Christ. He's joyful. Jesus has joy. And we reflect him more accurately when we have joy. Absolutely. So she mentioned the present. 
I want, to look, I want to look at the present. How do we have joy in the present? Let's look, go back to our text, verse 9. I pray that your love will overflow more and more, that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. And so Paul's prayer was, for his friends was that they would overflow in love. He said, I want you to have love and that it overflows. Why does this matter? He wants them to have the proper perspective because perspective is huge. It can impact the way that we have joy or not have joy. If we have a, a wrong perspective, it can, I mean, he talks about the fruit of our salvation, right? The fruit of what God is doing in us and our perspective can radically change if that fruit is there. We can quench the Holy Spirit. We can shut some things down in our hearts because of the way we're thinking or believing. See, Paul wrote another letter to the Galatians and he mentioned that fruit of the Spirit. Anybody know what the fruit of the Spirit is? Rattle it off. Go for it. Awesome. Let's give him a hand. That was, that was great. So yeah, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Like these are, these are things, these are qualities about us that are already in us. If we know Jesus... If the Holy Spirit, if God himself has come to dwell in us, then those are our fruit of our salvation. They're fruits of the Spirit. And Paul wrote about that to the Galatians. And so we saw how God, who began the transforming work, is going to finish us. We're works in progress. He's going to finish that. The truth is that we get to partner with God. We get to participate. It's not a completely passive thing. Like, I came to know Jesus. Well, now I'm just kind of coasting along, and someday he's going to, you know, fix it up. We get to partner with him in that work. We get to participate in letting the fruit of the Spirit flow through us. And so Paul's exhortation to his friends is that they will overflow in love. And this is head, heart, hands. We talk a lot about head, heart, hands. I'm going to hit it again today. I understand what God says about me. I know the truth and I believe it. And then it flows out of me. That's how the fruit of the Spirit works. We know it's true, what God says about who we are. We believe it in our heart, and then it affects the way that we live. I don't try hard to be righteous. I already am. That's, that's true of you. If you're in Christ, you don't need to try hard to be righteous. You've already been made righteous because of Jesus. And we understand our new identity, and we believe it, then it changes everything about how we act. But Paul said in verse 11, May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. So what comes first? The tree or the fruit? Do we just kind of pop out some apples and oranges over here, like out of thin air? No, they grow from a tree. They are produced by something else. And the fruit of our salvation is produced by Jesus. We don't just try hard to be more loving or try hard to be more joyful or try hard to be, have peace. It comes from Jesus when we understand, as Paul said, that you know and you understand who you already are in Jesus, that's when the fruit of your salvation becomes evident. That's when you overflow with love. 
So we don't do good things in order to be better people. We are already righteous because of Jesus. So many people struggle to live with the fruit of the Spirit because we're all bound up with wrong thinking or wrong belief. Sometimes we, we have a wrong picture of God and we, we've bought into some lies, maybe from our childhood. Um, so a lot of us have a hard time believing that God's actually pleased with us. And we live with the reality that God's just always mildly disappointed with me. Like no matter how much I do, God really doesn't like me. You know, he, he forgives me in Jesus, but he's just always kind of disappointed. I've lived this way for years. Maybe some of you can relate to that, where you feel like, I just got to do a little bit more. Then he'll love me. Then he'll bless me. If I just pray a little harder, and if I just read the Bible a little bit more, if I just serve here, if I just give a little more money, then God will be pleased with me. The reality is, he's already pleased with you because of Jesus. That's self-righteousness. When we're trying to do it on our own, that's not the fruit of the Spirit. So he says, grow in your understanding of what is already true of you. Know it, believe it, and let it flow from you. What Jesus says is already true of you. Know it and grow in it so your love will overflow and your salvation will be evident. See, we can short-circuit our present joy by thinking and believing wrongly. False. And it affects the way that we live. So I want to do an exercise with you guys this morning, and I've done this before, maybe some of you have experienced this, but I want you to, everyone just close your eyes for just a moment. And I want you to imagine, you're sitting in a room, there's nothing in the room but one chair, everything's white, the walls are white, the floor is white, the ceiling's white, the chair is white, and you're sitting there alone. Across from you is a wall with a two-way glass. You can't see through it. But on the other side of it, you know who's standing there, and it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is standing on the other side of that glass, and they're looking at you, and they're having a conversation about you. What do you imagine that they're saying about you? Are they disappointed? Are they happy? What do you imagine they're saying about you? What what kind of conversation are they having? Think about that for a minute. All right, you can open your eyes. So we're going to have a couple more questions for discussion, and I know that probably made some of you very uncomfortable, um, but what did you imagine that the Trinity was saying about you? What kind of conversation were they having during that exercise? Anybody want to share? I know this is vulnerable. I felt loved. You felt loved? That's awesome. What kind of things would you hear them imagine them saying? Um, just that I'm accepted, That's great. Anybody not feel loved? Or feel like maybe they were disappointed or had some things to, man, I need to work on this. <laughs> I hear a big yep in the back. You want to expound on that anymore? <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But isn't that fairly common? And I, I, bet, I bet a number of you feel this way. 
right, that God's just mildly disappointed with you. Why, just, why can't you get it together? Why can't you just do a little better? That's not the gospel. Paul flips that around. He says, you need to understand who you are in Christ, that the fruit of your salvation flows through you. The third question, or sorry, second question, we have a couple more. Did that exercise expose anything currently not true of you? Did you imagine God saying anything that wasn't true of you? How about like you're not enough? Why can't you be better? Those aren't true statements about us. Let's go to the third one. What is currently true of you if you've trusted Jesus to be your Savior? This is an easy one. Come on, Sunday school answer. We know this one. What's currently true of you? Going to heaven, okay. What else? Loved, what else? Strong faith, what else? We're a child of God. Yeah, that's true of you. And so even if we imagine the Trinity having some kind of bad conversation about us, that's not the reality. It's I love you. Crazy about you. See, I want to be a person who experiences joy I want to be a person who is known for joy in my life, and my guess is that you probably do too. And I don't want to, again, I don't want to minimize the, the struggles that many of us are going through in this room. There's a lot of hard stuff. I know many of your stories. But we can still experience joy amidst the struggles and the hardship. Because joy can come from looking backward, remembering God's faithfulness. God, you're so good. Joy can come from looking forward. God, I know you're doing something and you're going to complete it. And one day I'm going to be just like you, Jesus. I mean, not divine and all that, but we're going to reflect Jesus. And then it comes from our present circumstances of saying, God, you love me today as I am. This work in progress, this house that isn't finished, you still love me, even though there's still work to do. That's really good news. I hope that hits you in the heart today just to realize that we're works in progress, but God loves us. And he's going to finish the work that he has started. See, I, I truly believe that God wants every person in this room to experience joy. I really do. I was, a few weeks ago, I was uh, up in Alaska for a pastor's retreat. I mentioned this before, but um, we went, a number of us went up to Alaska with this ministry called Refresh Soul. And the first night, we're sitting in the lodge, and our guide, who's our fishing guide, but also just the head of the ministry, he said, we want you guys this week to experience joy. I was like, cool, sounds good. Didn't think much more about it until we were on the fishing boat a couple days in. And I mean, we had awesome fishing and we, we caught king salmon, we caught, you know, halibut. It was, it was amazing. And we had a great day out on the water and we're coming back to where we were staying. We were staying on this island with the cabin and we're boating back to where we were staying and he pulls the boat over. He said, hey guys, I got this spot. And this is a spot with black sea bass. And it's kind of a hole and it's full of fish. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a little tournament. There were four of us on the back deck of the boat. He said, each of you grab a rod and just drop your line over the edge. And we all start dropping our lines down and they're just like a, you know, a little crankbait that's weighted and it just drops down. He said, we're 50 to 60 feet deep here and I'm marking fish at all. It doesn't matter. Anywhere, there's fish everywhere. He said, the first person to catch 10 
black sea bass wins. And we're like, 10? There's four of us. Like, and it took about 15 minutes. Like every time you dropped a line down, boom, fish on at 15 feet, 20 feet, because we had line counters. And you wouldn't get to the bottom and you'd have a fish and you're just reeling it in. And there were so many fish that they're flopping all over the deck. We didn't even put them in the live well. And, and everybody's just, I got six, I got seven, I got eight. And we were giggling like a bunch of schoolgirls on that boat. And we got to the end, and of course we had too many fish, we had to throw some back, because we you know, wanted to be legal on everything. And so we limited out in 15 minutes, and we're, we're on the boat on the way back, and, and our guide said, you guys just experienced joy. And we said, yeah, that's, that is, that's what God wants for us. He wants his kids to experience joy. That was an easy one. I mean, we're fishing in Alaska, there's fish everywhere, hand over fist, we're pulling up these bass. But God wants us to experience joy in everyday ways. He gave us his creation. He gave us each other, people, to experience joy. And I saw joy on those guys' faces. They were laughing, grinning ear to ear. And we talked about it and we laughed about it the whole way back to the cabin. And that was just one small example. God wants his kids to experience his joy. Again, we have hard stuff in life. We know that. But he gives us those moments, doesn't he? So I hope today you experience his joy. You let the fruit of your salvation, the fruit of the Spirit flow through you. God wants you to have that. Don't let wrong thinking, wrong attitude, wrong beliefs about your relationship to God squash it. Allow his joy to be present in your life. He wants that for you, and I hope you believe that. And we're going to continue to talk about this over the next number of weeks. So if you're just not feeling it yet, just journey with us. We're going to grow in this together as a church family. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that you have given us salvation. You have given us new life. And we know that it's a transformation. It's, it happens in an instant. We are justified instantly, forgiven, made whole. But then at the same time, there's a process, Lord, that you take us through, that process of discipleship, sanctification. And the promise of your word is that you're going to complete that work one day in us. That we are works in progress and you are shaping us and you are guiding us and we get to participate in that with you. So thank you for Paul's example for this letter that even in a jail cell, even less than ideal situation when he didn't know what was going to happen he might be killed any day he was able to have joy as he thought about his friends as he thought about the future as he thought about eternity so God we, we thank you that you're a God who loves your kids and you loved us enough to send your son to die in our place and Lord we remember that this morning as we take communion together as we take these elements the bread which symbolizes Jesus' body broken the juice which symbolizes Jesus' blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins and our hearts are filled with gratitude for that and our response to you is worship we love you we thank you Pray it all in Jesus' name.
Josh left us with a few takeaways from today's service. Joy looks backwards. Most of the time, when we don't have joy, it's because we don't like our current circumstances. Joy comes from remembering God's goodness to us in the past. We can experience joy by remembering. Joy looks backwards. Joy looks forward. Looking forward to God's completed work gives us incredible joy. We are able to understand that we are works in progress, that God is doing the work. Rather than focusing on all the things in us that are unfinished, rest in the one who started the work of transformation in your heart and the one who will complete it in the end. Joy in the present. The truth is, we get to partner with God's work in us. We participate. We need to remind ourselves, I don't have to try hard to be righteous. I am already because of Jesus. We don't do good things in order to become better people. We already are righteous because of Jesus. Grow in your understanding of what is already true of you, so that the fruit of your salvation will be evident. Joy comes from looking back at God's faithfulness to us. Joy comes from looking forward to God's completed work in the future. And joy comes from realizing our present relationship with God because of Jesus. Discussion Questions Why is it so easy to lack joy in our lives? How might your life be different if you lived with the joy that God wants you to have? What about your relationships? Josh led us through an exercise of us closing our eyes and imagining the Trinity discussing about us. What kind of things did you imagine the Trinity discuss about you in our exercise? Did that exercise expose anything that's not true of you? What is true of you if you have trusted Jesus to be your Savior? Thanks again for listening, Miss Family, and we'll see you again next week.